Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome back. Thanks for rocking with me here on a Saturday morning. You're listening to Adam Epstein. It's AWOD Radio here on DC Sports Radio 106.7 The Fan. If you miss any of the show, you can rewind with the Odyssey app or check out the podcast by typing in overtime on 106.7 The Fan. You definitely want to listen in right now because I'm very happy to be joined on the hotline by Gene Wong, who covers... Uh, college basketball for the Washington Post here locally. What's going on, Gene? Hey, I'm going to be with you. Uh, I'm actually in Charlottesville um, awaiting this, well, not, uh, yeah. a while from now, but I'm covering Florida State, Virginia this afternoon, senior day for the uh, Cavaliers. Awesome, man, and, and I know I want to get into that for sure, but uh, my producer and I were going, and we're just, we're laughing during the break here because we were going through your Twitter and some of your latest articles, and uh, you wrote about the Georgetown Hoyas, and uh Man, look, Gene, you're one of my favorite reporters because you are so intelligent. And uh, Donald and I don't even know what this word was. Donald, you want to try to explain it? What? Yeah, we we saw your headline. I, I'm I'm thinking it's ignominious. 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 I know you know what, what you headline we're talking this? about, Gene. That's you know, yeah, that's definitely an SAT word. And let me tell you this. I do not write the headline because I would never pull that word out of there. But yeah, I had to, I had to go to the dictionary myself to look it up. But certainly. Um, I think that's an appropriate word for Georgetown season this this year. I mean, it's really, um, if you go through the history of the program, this is one of the, you know, the, the blue blood programs that, that was the bedrock of the Big East. And to see them have fallen this far is really, you know, really hard to believe. I know. it's it's It sucks, man. And, and it's, I don't know how to, you know, get better from here. You know, I, I've been rooting for the Georgetown Hoyas for a long time. We were talking during the break here about, uh, you know, so many great memories and and such a legacy there, Alonzo AI. But for us, it was Georgetown. It was Georgetown with Roy Hibbert and Jeff Green. Uh, that was you know yeah. our glory year. So what? Where does Georgetown go from here? I mean, in your opinion, Gene, if they were going to fix the program, it's got to start a coaching, right? You've got to try to make a decision there and and bring someone in here that can that can really recruit. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, they've they've. Since John Thompson Jr. Uh, and, and the pro, and left the program, you know they've gone from that John Thompson tree the whole way, from Craig Estrick to John JT three, and now to Patrick Ewing. It just it feels like that it's time if you want to take the program in a different, better direction that you have to sever ties with any John Thompson connection and, and move on completely. Um, and so maybe someone younger who can recruit the DC area. 
um, who, who can keep guys from, from, from the DMV, who, which in my opinion has the best high school basketball in the country, to stay at, at, at Georgetown. You know, much like JT3 did when, when Roy Hibbert was here and Jeff Green, those guys you mentioned, they're all local players, right? Yeah. So um, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of the same thing in Maryland. We can get into that later, too. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, Georgetown is – there's no Georgetown basketball, okay, without John Thompson the second. We know that. And so it's understandable why the administration wants to keep that legacy, wants to keep that name, wants to keep that connection. But it just has not worked. Uh, over the since since John Thompson Jr. stepped down, it's time to work, and it's time to get a fresh idea. You know, fresh blood, someone who really doesn't have a connection. But that's going to be kind of hard to do, I think, because there's so there's just so much um, you know loyalty to, to that John Thompson tree that, um, and you know, the president of the university has was been loyal to John Thompson Jr. also, and you know that that's another piece of, of, of the decision-making process that's just kind of going to be, you know, hard to extract um, just w- when you're breaking it down. Yeah, I know. It's, I mean, it's historic lows right now for Georgetown. 0-16 in Big East Conference play, 6-21 and overall. And, and you're right. I mean, you got to try to move away from, you know, from that, from them. And, and, and as much as they've, you know, been such, you know, the Thompsons have been so great for the program, you're right, you do need to Try to you know bring in new blood here and and someone younger and it's just like I don't know if Georgetown can ever get back to you know the way they were where it felt like you know like you're saying like any young kid that had pro you know NBA prospects and 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 wanted to make it to the league wanted to go through Georgetown if they were from this area I just want them to be competitive again in the Big East because I actually I think it's going to be impossible with the way recruiting is right now with the way you know. Um, you know, people are going right to the league. I don't know if Georgetown can ever get back to the level that they weren't once were, but maybe they can get to a level where they can compete with Creighton, right, and compete with Seton Hall and Marquette. It's certainly that's the case. We have to remember that they did win the Big East tournament last season. They came out of nowhere to do it, right? Yeah. But sure. I mean that that that's a blip. That's that's not. We they're not going to be back to the program that I remember when I was growing up in the '80s, where they were in the Final Four pretty much. You can count on it almost every season. I mean that, and they're getting guys like Patrick Ewing and Reggie Williams and Alonzo Mourning and Kevin Matumbo. That's just not those days are gone. But you know, you, you can find young up and coming coaches if you do your homework. I mean, they found John Thompson Jr. Right? I mean, yep. look at that. Um, and you look at a guy like you know, for example, Shaka Smart out of at, when he was at VCU, kind of just took that program from a you know, put that program on the map, took him to the final four, you know, and now he's at Marquette. You can find a coach. And his name was, by the way, kind of in the mix, in the discussion before Patrick Ewing was hired after JT3. Shaka uh, was. After this, yeah, yes. Yeah. So oh. after you said, but obviously he's at Marquette now, so it's a different, it's a different situation, right? right. But you, you need to find that guy. It's like when the Washington football team found Joe Gibbs and people are like, who is this guy? Or even when Duke hired Mike Krzyzewski, and people forget at the time when Tom Butters hired Krzyzewski, the, the, the fan base, who had, they had Bill Foster, great coach. And they were like, who is this guy? And Kay, you know, had a losing record his first two seasons after he left Army. So yeah. if, you, if you do your homework and find that guy, you can get that program back, not to probably where they were in the 80s, but like, like you said, to be competitive, at least in the Big East. Yeah, I know. Um... I've seen Tommy Amaker's name thrown out there. I also saw his name thrown out there when Coach K decided he was leaving a year ago. He's 
born in Falls Church, Virginia. He's currently the head coach of Harvard, so it's definitely a name, and you're right. If they do their research and they get it right, there is a possibility. Let me ask you about Maryland. Is there any correlation to the two that it feels like right now that like local talent from the DMV is moving away? The Terrapins, 13-15 and 15 on the season, 5-12 uh, and 12 in Big Ten play. They're having a bad season, and they're going to have to figure out a new coaching staff. Yeah, certainly. It's the same situation as Georgetown. Very similar in that it doesn't really matter what happens this year. It matters what happens the next three, four, five seasons and yeah. who's going to be the guy to take over. Obviously, it's not going to be Danny Manning, right? Um, my good friend, John Feinstein, wrote a column about this not that long ago, and I, I concur with all the names he, he mentioned there for coaching possibilities. To me, the guy I like is Ryan Odom, who was at UMBC, as you know, famously coached UMBC to a win over Virginia, 16 over a one. Yep. First time that's ever happened, right? And he's at Utah State and has that program, you know, in the top 50 in the net rankings, which is, you know, quite impressive. And and so he can recruit the, the, the DMV area. It would certainly be a name that people in Maryland know. Um, you could sell him as a guy who, you know, can, can, can win big games, obviously. Um, he's young, he's energetic, he engages with the fan base. I think that's what you need in Maryland. That's wasn't Turgeon. I mean, I, 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 my, uh, Turge was, you know, he had his great assets, great recruiter, just interacting w- w- with the fan base, not necessarily his strength. Ryan Odom can do that for certain. I've, I've interviewed him plenty of times. I've seen him, you know, I've seen him with engaging with the fans at UMBC. And I, I think he would love to come back this way to the East Coast and, and have a chance and have a crack at coaching Maryland. You know, his dad, Dave, coached at Wake Forest, you know, when Maryland was back in the ACC. So, I mean, there are connections there. And the other name I've heard is Andy Enfield at USC. We know him at Florida Gulf Coast. They famously upset Georgetown, you know, with, you know, it was like Lob City at Florida Gulf Coast, yeah. right? So, yeah. I mean, he could, and he can, he certainly can recruit. I don't know about this area, but he could certainly recruit and he, he would certainly bring a, a energy and, and, you know, a new, a, a new face, you know, some new life to, to the program. So again, they have to do their homework for certain. They have a search committee. Um, I know with a lot of former Maryland players, which lends me to think they may be thinking they want to stick with kind of that, that, lefty, maybe Gary, College Park area coaching tree. But, you know, I don't know. But they need – they also need to keep local guys here. That's part of the reason why Gary Williams left. He was sick of the AAU thing and they didn't want to play that game anymore. And so, you know, they've kind of been in a wilderness since then. Yeah, we know about UMBC here. My producer, Donald, went to school there, and so he was a big fan of them when they uh, knocked out UVA. Yeah, yeah. And, and you mentioned uh, John Feinstein, and he's one of my favorite columnists. And, of course, I've read his book, Backroads to March, one of my favorite. And there's a lot of good stories in there about UMBC and Coach Odom. So that is something to keep an eye on. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Adam Epstein joined right now by Gene Wong, covers college sports here for the Washington Post. He's at the UVA Florida game today, Florida State game today. Gene, here's a tough question for you. And, of course, I'm biased. All right, so I, I won't tell you who I will say, but uh, if you look at my profile, I'm sure you'll know. Who right now is the best college basketball team in the state of Virginia? Oh, man. <laughs> that's, you know what? That's, I, I think right now, to me, the best coach in America is Tony Bennett. Okay? Mm-hmm. I, 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 will, I will die on the hill for that. I really believe that. And I think if you ask any coach in the ACC um, – if Virginia belongs in the NCAA tournament, they'll tell you yes. Meshachevsky made no bones about it, saying it would be a sin, 
a sin if Virginia didn't make the tournament. Because if you certainly the numbers maybe don't say that they belong. They have losses to, to JMU and, and to Navy. Obviously, very unsightly on their resume. But they've beaten Duke. They've beaten Miami twice, okay? In the last in the month of February, there's fewer teams in the ACC playing as well as Virginia. I, you know, they took Duke to the wire the other night, okay? And so it, 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 based on the body of work and the net rankings, Virginia probably – right now they're, they're on the outside for sure looking in. But they're playing as well as anyone to me in the ACC in the month of February. Um, and if you just base it on how they played against the best teams in the conference and Duke being the, the, the number one, right? Um, so, but, you know, unless they, at this point, make a deep, deep run into the ACC tournament, they're probably not going to be in, in, in the NCAA tournament. And when I say deep run, that means get into the finals, okay? Um, but, you know, Virginia Tech also has, you know, you look at their resume, they've had some great, great wins too. Yeah. Um, but they're also on the outside looking in, and they're going to need a deep run in tournament too. I mean, they're kind of right neck and neck with each other in the ACC. I mean, I think right now Virginia's playing the best out of, out of any team in the state at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we need one of those teams to get in. I mean, they've beaten each other up. They've both beaten each other this year, Virginia Tech and UVA. I, I'm of course, would say Virginia Commonwealth, VCU, the Rams right yeah. now are on fire, and the Atlantic 10 tournament will be coming to Washington, D.C. Gene, will I see you yeah. there at Cap One Arena covering GW, George Mason, and all those teams? I will be uh, at the ACC tournament, ACC tournament in Brooklyn gotcha. with Virginia and Virginia Tech. And so, but, you know, you mentioned the A-10 tournament. I've done it a bunch of times. You know, I, I, I covered GW a lot. I covered them when Michael Oniger was there when they, when they went to the NCAA tournament. When they upset Virginia at, at Patriot Center, one of the great games I remember covering. Yeah. Um, you know, and those two programs are right, they're right smack in the middle of the A-10 tournament. And they're also in, in rebuilding phases. They have new coaches. You know, relatively new coaches. Um, you know, Mason has a, a first-year coach, Kim English, who, you know, was a great player at Missouri and um, a great assistant, did a great job at Mount St. Mary's. Um, and Jamie and Christian, of course, in his third year at, at, at GW. So, I mean, they're, they're those, both those programs are works in progress. With, with Mason, do you see a bright future with Kim English? Uh, you know, based on based on what he's done at, at past places and, and and kind of the peer review, yeah. I mean, there's certainly you know, Dave Paulson, the previous coach, had, had them you know had had them winning pretty much every season. But I think Brad Edwards, their AD, felt like they had gotten as much as they could out of Paulson, and he had gotten them as far as they could go. And um, they kind of wanted some new life. And um, if you talk to a, a lot of folks in the industry, that say Kim English is certainly a guy that they think has great potential and, and has great ideas. Um, obviously, the program loves them, and um, they think that they can go pretty far with them. Can they recapture what they had under Jim Laranaga? Um, that's that's going to be a tall order. I mean, those were some glory days when he was there, and they went to the Final Four, remember, memorably in 06. Um, and they were a regular tournament team right. uh, until Laranaga left some 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to Adam Epstein here on 106.7 The Fan, Gene Wong, my guest right now on the hotline will be at UVA at Florida State today, and certainly a game that UVA needs to win. Florida State, not a great team on the season this year. UVA right now, Jaden Gardner been really been playing well. Reese Beekman has been a good guard for them and playing well defensively. What are your keys to victory? Keeley Clark should have to have a big game. What are your keys to victory for the Virginia yeah. Cavaliers today? Um, just 
defend, defend, keep them out of the paint. That's just what they do. And they have to make shots. They've had, that's been their Achilles all year. I mean, we're used to seeing them having guys like Powell Guy, Ty Jerome, you know, DeAndre Hunter, even last year, Sam Hauser, guys who can fill it up from, from behind the arc and, and just make shots. They have, they don't have a guy like that this year who can, they can count it consistently for three pointers. That's been a problem for them. They, you know, they're not a great three-point shooting team. And the problem with that is that's fine if you have a great defensive team. I know they lead the ACC in, in scoring defense, but that's a little bit of, of – you, you look at their efficiency. They're, they've not been great with defensive efficiency this year. Um, they play at the lowest pace in the country. So the other teams are not going to get a lot of possession. So they're just not going to be by the math in a lot of high-scoring games. So that's part of the reason why they, they don't, their opponents don't score a lot of points. But – I mean, they, they, they have to be – they have no margin or room for error this year. They've had in the past that they can, they can score, but they're just not the best defensive team, even though the numbers may say they are this year. And that's been one of the reasons why they haven't been one of the top two or three teams in the ACC. But the key for them is to turn, not turn it over, make shots when they have to, and they get Jane Gardner the ball as much as possible. They play through him. He has a great mid-range game, um, you know, from the foul line and in. He's virtually unstoppable. Um, when he makes shots, and they need another guy to make shots, it just hasn't. They thought Armand Franklin has been a guy, a, a, a transfer from Indiana that they they thought was going to be more of a, a shot maker. That hasn't happened. He's been very inconsistent. When he makes shots, they win. And same with T.A. Clark. They just need a, another player to, to to take the pressure off Jane Garner. When that happens, they usually have a chance to win. Gene, thanks so much for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Love talking local college hoops, man. Uh, so really happy to have you on the show. We'll have to make this. Uh, thing again soon. Real quick, real quick before I let you go, though, I'm going to name my three favorite Cinderella teams, and I want to know who you think is most likely to win a game in the NCAA tournament. Northern okay. Iowa, Murray State, and North Texas. Wow. I- I've seen North Texas play, and I think that they have really, if, if I, I would not want that, I would not want to be a higher seed playing against them. Let's put it that way if I saw them in my, in my part of the bracket. Awesome. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Gene. Okay, take care, Adam. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Yep. That's Gene Wong. I'm Adam Epstein here on 106.7 The Fan. Welcome back to 106.7 The Fan. I'm Adam Epstein. I got my guy Donald here producing the show. We're just talking about Gene Yus, the Kanye West documentary, and how much we're enjoying it on Netflix part two came out. I believe part three will come out in a week next Tuesday. And um, what what were your kind of your most favorite thoughts about it or your favorite moments and and what's sticking with you from the documentary? Yeah, just uh, overall in general, just obviously knowing the character that he is and such a, you know, figure that he is today, just back then, how I guess like the lack of respect and you know, he just really had to fight for, you know, what he's got, which is probably contributes to some of the, you know, behavior that we mm-hmm. see today, our antics. Um, not giving him an excuse, but I'm sh- I'm sure that definitely contributes the relationship with his mom. You see how close he is with his mother yeah. and things like that. Which I is, love her in the doc. Yeah, which is why, you you know, you see his, his album is named after her and stuff. So there's a lot of t- takeaways that I took from back then as to why I can see why he is the way he is today. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about the documentary is seeing the come up of people besides Kanye. Like we were just talking about uh, John Legend in the documentary was like the piano player and that's it. Like they would invite him to the studio and be like, hey, like sing a little bit of a chorus, but mostly just play the keys. Right. I mean, 
And same with Pharrell, right? I mean, Pharrell, yeah. You you mentioned it too. There was a scene with Beyonce just kind of hanging backstage. Yeah. She just looked like a regular like person. Yeah. So it's yeah. To your point, it's just interesting how that doc has. I mean, even outside of Kanye, you just see all the figures. Even you know, even Jay Z, he was big at the time, but just seeing how much more bigger he is now, you know, right. there's just a lot of figures in there. That I mean, I want up. documentaries on other people now. Like, it's right. made me. I, I didn't realize how much I was into the behind the scenes in the music industry until this documentary. Like, I want to see the rise of Beyonce. I want to see some behind the scenes on P Diddy. Right, oh, P yeah. Diddy was in the episode, right, in episode two, and he kind of like. They like compare themselves to each other, right? Right. Yeah. In general, I'm just a fan of all those behind the scenes, even to bring it back to sports, like even when The Last Dance first came out and some of those like sports docs where you see those sports teams behind the scenes. I'm just a big fan of because you always see the finished product, right. but you never see, you know, what goes into it. So I'm always a fan. Yeah. I know Eric Bickle, EB from the Junkies, has been a big fan of it. He kind of compared it to the great documentary that of the, I believe, the 80s or 90s of Hoop Dreams. Have you seen Hoop Dreams? It's one have, of my favorite. Have, yeah. Arthur Aggie Jr. Right. Uh, I tried to get him on the show once. We we emailed back and forth, and then it, it kind of fell off. But right, maybe right. I'll try again. <laughs> yeah, but it's always interesting to see how, you know, things come together, people and teams and sports and musicians that you respect, how, you know, what all goes into it. Who's your favorite? Like, if you just need to listen to something to, to pump you up right now, who who would you go to on Spotify? Um, if I'm going to get amped up a little bit, I probably would throw on some Drake or something, you know, I go Lil Wayne. Yeah. I definitely. I'll go that route too. I mean, Kanye has some tracks for sure. You know, I like that high energy, you know, beats and stuff like that to get me going in the yeah, morning. But my sure. number one album that I'll go to on like Spotify or something, I'll type in graduation. I mean, I'll type that in like once a week. I mean, that's that you can't go wrong with that yeah. in my book. Yeah, no, it's so cool. And, and I, I think everyone should watch the documentary because I think, People for people like sleep on how much work goes into producing a beat and stuff. And as I'm like a visual guy, and when I listen to it, I'm like thinking of how many layers are in each track and stuff like that, you know? Right. And I think given our industry too, we, you know, obviously it's different than music, but we work with a lot of audio right. and things like that. So like we, it's a good radio segment when you play music underneath when I did college basketball and that kind of stuff. Exactly. So I think, you know, even our, I guess, vision too, we, we kind of know the layers and kind of some of those things that go into it. You know, you just kind of, again, hear the finished product and don't see, see the process. Yeah. I mean, if you, look, if you want to quit your job and start following me around with the camera, <laughs> Donald Cootie over there, I'm fine with yeah, that. Yeah, I'll be Cootie. I'll be Cootie. <laughs> the AWOD films. Right? Exactly. Let's do it. <laughs> You're listening to Adam Epstein here on 106.7 The Fan. Uh, when I return, instead of genius, it'd be called dumbass, right? <laughs> That's my Adam Epstein documentary. I'm Adam Epstein here on 106.7 The Fan. When I get back, Chase Hughes joins me on The Fan. Welcome back to the fan. I'm Adam Epstein. And there was a point last night in that Wizards game where I was sitting there writing my notes for my show, and I was like, "Woo! First game after the All-Star break, Wizards playing basketball. Kuzma had 36. They had a bunch of assists. They were moving the ball. And then they let the Spurs come back on them, send it to overtime, then double overtime. And they eventually lose the game. Joining me on the hotline right now, Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington, who covers the Washington Wizards. Chase, what did you make of the game last night? Well, it was an amazing game. I mean, obviously, if, if you wanted the Wizards to win, uh, yeah. you were disappointed. But uh, 
on the face of it, it was uh, one of the better NBA games I've seen, and I've seen quite a few of them. It, it reminded me of um, a couple years ago, the Wizards lost to the Houston Rockets 159-158. Uh, early in the season, it was the same night the Nationals won the World Series. Mm. And it was a similar deal. You know, they, they go to overtime, and all these points are scored, and they just happen to, you know, not get uh, enough stops to win. But, you know, I thought of you, Adam, because <laughs> – uh, Chris Porzingis didn't play, and the last time you and I talked, you said, hey, Chase, am I allowed to be upset if Chris Porzingis doesn't play? And I told you yes. Uh, and now it, I don't know when he's going to play uh, with the latest update. So um, I was wondering how you were feeling about that. I was very upset. Uh, me and my producer, Donald, said he looked like uh, Roger Klotz last night, the character from <laughs> Doug. Um, yeah, but here, here's what I will say, Chase, is that Washington, the Wizards, did not have a member in the All-Star game this year. The San Antonio Spurs had one All-Star. His name's DeJounte Murray, and that All-Star won them the game. Yeah, although DeJounte Murray also had some uh, real head-scratching possessions late in the game where he just played hero ball. He did. After yeah. the Spurs would take a timeout, and Greg Popovich, you know, one of the greatest coaches of all time, would draw up a play, and it would end up being DeJounte Murray just dribbling the ball in isolation and, taking a pull-up contested jumper from, like, 16 feet out. So, yeah, um, yeah, he was really good, though. I mean, he had a triple-double, obviously. He was getting into the paint relentlessly. He had that huge three-pointer when it looked like Washington was pulling away in, I believe, the first overtime. Yeah, he was a handful all night. I mean, obviously, he missed a few shots in big moments, but he also made some other ones in in clutch moments. Yeah, Um, The Wizards had a lot of trouble with him. Uh, And, you know, the Spurs... They're not a very good team record-wise, but they've got a lot of young talent. I think they're a team on the rise. I mean, Murray's young. He's an all-star. They've also got Keldon Johnson, who was on Team USA. Um, Devin Vassell from Florida State uh, looks good. Even Lonnie Walker, the fourth, looks good. Yeah. Um, they, they, they've got, they've got a, a nice young team uh, developing over there. Dougie Buckets as well. I, I'm just upset about um, the center situation. So, Jacob Pertle, so, uh, look. I've seen him play since Utah, all right? I remember him in college. He's a giant seven-foot statue who really should not dominate in the game of basketball. He averages about 13 points a game. He had 28 last night. Not only did he outplay Daniel Gafford, he outplayed Thomas Bryant, he outplayed Anthony Gill. Nobody on the Wizards could do anything with him, especially late in the game. He had that stupid little floater to, to dagger to win it because we couldn't stop him on the switches. How is he better than all the centers that we have here in Washington? Is that not disappointing? Well, he's quite a bit bigger than all the centers they have in Washington. And he highlighted a few problems that we've seen all year from the Wizards. Uh, one of them, namely, is points in the paint. Uh, you know, Pirtle helps lead a Spurs team that's second in the league in, in paint points. And the Wizards have had some trouble with that all year, not just because of their big men, but they've had some trouble stopping the ball at the perimeter. But also, uh, you know, they have one of the smaller center rotations, at least uh, until Porzingis comes back in the league. Uh, they entered the, the season one of only six teams without a player who was taller than 6'10". And so guys like Pirtle and, and Jonas Valanciunas and uh, certainly Joel Embiid and, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, those guys have dominated the Wizards all year because uh, they just have a physical mismatch over everyone on the roster. Yeah. So Porzingis is 7'3". I think he'll help with that. Obviously, he's not a bruiser. Um, but just to, but based on pure size, he'll give them something that they haven't had. Um, but, yeah, I think that that was a difficult part of, of his game to deal with. And also, 
He's one of the best screen setters in the game, uh, Jakob Pertl, and, and the Wizards uh, struggled with that. I think it was the big reason why the, the Spurs just ate them up in the paint all night. Yeah, I am uh, just blown away that I'm realizing now Daniel Gafford's only 6'9", Thomas Bryant is 6'10". For some reason, <laughs> it must be his length that I thought Daniel Gafford was more 6'10 half, 6'11", or maybe he just wears really tall heels. Uh, and well, he's amazingly, me. in the NBA, that's small for a center. Yeah. Yeah, I, for some reason, I, I, I was convinced last year that he was 6'11". But, uh, all right, so that's an issue for Washington that hopefully Kristaps will solve. Kuzma had a good game, 36 points. It felt like he was putting his, the team on his back. That's what I want to see. What is your take on on Denny Avdia and uh, the misses around the rim? I have been saying that, look, I think... A lot of guys in the NBA struggle to even get there, right? To get past your man, to have a quick first step. The fact that Denny has that in his game is huge. I think I am going to keep arguing, and I had Troy Halliburton on earlier in the show, and he was kind of against me on this. I'm going to keep arguing that Denny Avdia will begin to make these bunnies as he gets more playing time, more experience, and he gets a little tougher with the contact around the rim. Do you feel that way? I do. You know, to a certain extent, it's an adjustment that I've seen other young players have to make. Like Rui Hachimura, when he first got in the league, he had a tendency to get blocked around the rim. And Scott Brooks would always say, you know, he's got to go up stronger. It's an adjustment that a lot of young players find that once they get to the NBA, they don't realize how athletic uh, the other big men are on the floor. And and plays that they got away with at other levels just don't work here. And for Denny Abdi, he was a professional, but he was in the EuroLeague that just doesn't have the same level of athleticism you go up against every night. So that's part of it probably. Um, Also, you know, he is coming off a a pretty uh, severe ankle injury that he had last year, so maybe he doesn't have the same hops. But I think over time he'll get better at it. He's a pretty uh, athletic player, and he's big. And I think at some point he'll realize that he can not only go up stronger but dunk a lot of these plays. I saw him during warm-ups about two, three weeks ago throw down like a really nice windmill dunk. Like it was smooth. He got up there. Like it looked like any, you know, star athlete in the NBA throwing down a windmill dunk. So he can do it. Uh, He's got pretty good touch around the rim too. So I think over time he'll get better at it. But you're absolutely right. If you look at the percentages, Howell Neto shoots a higher percentage in the restricted area than Denny Avdia does. And he's like eight or nine inches shorter than Denny Avdia is. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on 106.7 The Fan. My guest on the hotline, my guy Chase Hughes, covers the Wiz for NBC Sports Washington. Chase, it's time to play the hit game. It's called (laughs) When Will Kristaps Play? I'm going to name the dates of the schedule coming up here, and you stop me when you think Kristaps will be in the game. Tonight at Cleveland, Tuesday, March 1st versus Detroit. Friday, March 4th versus Atlanta. Sunday, March 6th. I'll stop you. I'll stop you at Friday versus Atlanta. I think okay. I, right now I'm guessing it's going to be another week. Definitely not tonight. Um, I don't think it's going to be Tuesday, given uh, you know where he's at. He's got to progress to three on three and then five on five. So I think they need at least one to two or three practices before that can happen. So right now, put me down for Friday against the Hawks. All right, Chase. I'm gonna you know you know me. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to it. I'm gonna be very upset if we don't see him. <laughs> Uh, but Chase, bre- break it down for me and and my audience here. So it was reported he he was playing three on three, right? So what is the next step with that? He has to you know, do five on five drills, obviously. Yeah, and contact is uh, you know part of it. Um, but yeah, he's got to get up to five on five, and then they'll clear him 
and move him, you know, into, I guess they'll allow him to play in games. Um, He looks pretty good. I mean, I've seen him shooting around. The latest I've seen him do, I put up a video, it's cutting to the rim. I mean, he looks pretty mobile, um, you know, as far as uh, Chris Asforzingis can be. Um, Obviously, I'm no doctor, but um, it doesn't look like he's too far away. And, you know, it's been an interesting saga. Actually, today marks four weeks since he first suffered the injury. When he left, the game uh, with the Mavericks, they called it a sore knee. Then it turned into a right knee bone bruise. He had, you know, MRIs and tests like that with the Mavericks. And then the Wizards did their own round of testing once he got here. And they insist that they're just playing it safe. And then it's not, you know, a shutdown situation or anything like that. And it's not, you know, much more severe than uh, it's been categorized. So um, I don't think it's going to take long. It's just taking a little bit longer than, than I think a lot of people hoped and that, you know, maybe they indicated initially. Have you gotten to talk to him? Is he enjoying D.C.? Has he had any of the staples, Old Ebbet Grill? Has he had Not Your Mother's Bagels? Has he had uh, Mambo Wings? What are you, Has he talked about D.C. much and how, like, I'm sure, didn't he, like, bring his family? Doesn't he have, like, a bunch of brothers that travel around with him? I have seen his brothers at games. Um, he said he likes D.C. a lot. Uh, he mentioned uh, that he loves the restaurant scene. He didn't say which restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said it reminds him of New York, of course, weather-wise. He's happy to be back on the East Coast. Uh, you know, it's a little bit closer uh, to where he's from in Latvia. And I think one thing that he's excited about is uh, being where the Commanders play. He's a big Commanders fan. You know, he was living in Dallas, and somehow uh, he adopted then the Redskins and followed them, you know, through their two name changes. <laughs> and he said he's still a Commanders fan, so he, he plans on going to some games. Although, if they put the stadium in Dumfries, uh, I don't know if that'll change his mind. Yeah, I, does, I don't understand. So, did he just become a fan when he came to America? Was he a fan? Like, he's not old enough to have been, like, alive during the 90, early 90s, 80s when we were good. I just don't get nope. it, you know? Neither was I, and I'm, uh, I'm 34. So <laughs> yeah, but your so parents I, I at least were born here, right? I mean, Right, right, exactly. So, I, I, heard, I, I understand that those years existed. But yeah, he was with the Mavericks, and uh, assistant coach Daryl Armstrong is a big Commanders fan oh. and always has been, and like has made it known for a long time. So I guess Christoph Porzingis uh, wanted a, to adopt a team, and yeah. Daryl Armstrong got in his ear and convinced him. I love it, and he stuck with it. So yeah, I mean he's 26, so you know obviously he didn't pick them because they've been good. So uh, bless his heart, man. That, that's a that's a tough uh, that's a tough situation to walk into, as we all know. All right, last question for you. Will Kristaps Porzingis, before the end of the year, have a 30-point performance? I want MVP chance from the crowd. I want the crowd to get pumped up for Kristaps. Do you think he comes back this season and has one explosive game? I do. I think part of the reason why they're taking their time is because he likes to be as close to 100% as possible. I think if this was like a playoff game, he'd probably play. Yeah. But I think they're definitely taking their time until he's 100%. And 100% for him means you know 20 points pretty much every night. That's what he's averaged essentially for his career. And 30 is not too far away from that, so I would say yes. Awesome. Chase, thanks so much for hopping on the show. Next Friday is when we're hoping to see Kristaps Porzingis play for the Washington Wizards. Thanks so much, Chase. Absolutely, man. Have a good weekend. Yep, that's Chase Hughes. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan. Welcome back to the fan. I'm Adam Epstein. Big, big shout out and thank you to Gene Wong. Shout out to Troy Halliburton and shout out to Chase Hughes 
Big shout-out to Donald producing the show, doing another excellent job. He'll post the podcast at Overtime is where you can find it. Or you can always rewind with the Odyssey app. You can rewind all the way back to 7.30 a.m. when the show started. Check out my top 32 teams I like to win a game in the NCAA tournament this year uh, because the brackets are about to be busted just a couple weeks away from that. And I wanted to end the show here giving you a little bit of my thoughts here on the second half of the NBA season. I think the Warriors right now are having an incredible season, and it's not just because of Steph Curry. He's doing incredible things. He's 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 a legend. But I think it's because of the emergence of Andrew Wiggins. Like, finally becoming the prospect that he was about five or six years ago. I, people forget Andrew Wiggins was destined for greatness. He was called the Canadian LeBron when he was drafted. And, you know, the NBA is tough, and it's even tougher to last. Not only has he lasted, but he was a former NBA Rookie of the Year who has now continued to improve instead of plateauing like many NBA players do. Now in his sixth season, Wiggins is a better three-point shooter than he has ever been. He's more efficient on, on the offensive end than he's ever been. And on defense, he's stealing passes and blocking more shots than he ever has. He's making a huge impact on both sides of the ball for the Golden State Warriors. And on the eastern side of things, it's going to be very interesting to see if Milwaukee can get to the top because they're going to have to get past Miami and Chicago, who are two teams not to sleep on this year. I'm Adam Epstein. I'm back next Saturday, 7.30 to 10 a.m. If you missed any of this show, rewind with the Odyssey app, of course, or follow me on Twitter at AWOD Radio to find out when I'll be hosting next. Thanks, for everybody, for listening. Have a good Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t